Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello to everyone here and everyone watching and listening online. If you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1. It's good to be back with you today. I appreciate you allowing me to come back. It's not always guaranteed. Years ago, I was invited to drive out and preach for a little bitty church in a little bitty town about an hour north of Abilene. And after I preached my sermon, after the service was over, an older gentleman who was the de facto leader of that church came up to me and he said, you know, that was pretty good. Why don't you come back next week? And so I did. And after the second week, he came up afterward. He said, you know, that one was pretty good too. Why don't you just keep coming back until someone tells you to stop? (laughs) Things go well today. My intention is to keep coming back until someone tells me to stop. Because beginnings are important. Last week, I had the opportunity to share a brief communion meditation at the end of our time. But this is really my first time to deliver a full-length message to you. Beginnings are important. And so I thought I would walk you through Paul's theology of preaching and ministry that he shares in the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians. I want to start where Paul always began and also where he always finished too, by the way, with his theology of preaching and ministry and where he believed the power of the gospel was to be found. It's been a long-standing joke among preachers that most modern churches would never hire the Apostle Paul to be their preacher. Not just because of his violent past or because he wasn't married and wasn't a family man, but also, and maybe more importantly, because his philosophy of preaching in ministry challenges what conventional wisdom says is essential for building and growing a dynamic, successful, happening church in a city like ours. Take, for example, conventional wisdom would say that if you really want to build a church that's connecting with the people in your community, you need to make sure that your message speaks to the needs of the people you're reaching. You have to make sure that the gospel makes sense to people, not just rationally, but in an everyday kind of way. So you have to demonstrate that the gospel is practical. You have to preach and teach messages that show people how to be better 
parents and better spouses and how to resolve their conflicts at home and at work and how to manage their time and their money efficiently. And it's those kind of practical, common sense messages that draw people to the church and then keep them coming back. The gospel has to be practical. It has to make sense. It has to reflect common sense living. Or conventional wisdom would also say that to really get your church going, you need to link your message to some successful or famous authority. It's called establishing third-party credibility. And if you have a big enough budget, you might even want to pay to bring in a celebrity to offer a testimony to the large crowd that will undoubtedly gather to hear their favorite coach or athlete or actor speak. Conventional wisdom might also say that Really, if, if you want to have a, a great church, you got to have a great preacher. And not one who's just a powerful communicator, but also one who has an attractive family. The kind that you don't mind seeing on a billboard, or maybe you would watch if they had a reality TV show because everybody wants to know what happens in a preacher's home behind the scenes. And if somehow your preacher could achieve celebrity status, so much the better. Publish a best-selling book or launch a popular podcast, that would be great. Because as everyone knows, nothing will grow a church faster than having a celebrity pastor. That rhymes, so it must be true. Nothing will grow a church faster than having a celebrity pastor. Now, keep those in mind, those elements in mind. And there are many others. And yes, I'm exaggerating for rhetorical effect. Get used to it. <laughs> keep those in mind as we walk through Paul's philosophy and theology of preaching and ministry that he shares with the Christians in Corinth. And imagine Paul saying some of these kind of things to a search team for a church that's interested and having him come and be their new preacher. So let's pick it up. Chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. We're going to begin in the middle of a thought for Paul, but you can read back if you want to set the context a little better. But he says, beginning in verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but, but we, we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and it's foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. 
Okay, so imagine the leader of a search team says to Paul in the interview, tell us a bit about your message. What kind of sermons can we expect to hear from you if you were to be our preacher? And Paul says, well, to tell you the truth, my message doesn't make a lot of sense to most people. It really doesn't. Some think it's ridiculous. Others think it's a scandal or absurd. I never know how people are going to respond. Sometimes they laugh me out of town. Sometimes they run me out of town with rocks. I understand why, because my message, my core message is that a crucified criminal was raised from the dead and now he's king of kings and lord of lords. That's a hard sell. And most people simply can't buy it. And then someone else on the search team says, well, doesn't it bother you that more people don't respond positively to your message? And Paul says, no, not at all. I get it. It's a hard message. In my experience, most people think they are too smart for it. And so they evaluate it as foolishness, which is why most people reject it because most people think they're smarter than they really are. But in my experience, he said, my experience, no matter where I go, no matter where I share this story, there's always a few people, sometimes just a handful out of the crowd. They hear the message of the cross and they believe it and they embrace it and it changes their lives. I don't know how it works, but I know that it does. It's foolishness. But that's where God's wisdom is to be found. And then he keeps going. Verse 26. He says, now, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, it was Jeremiah who wrote it, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And someone on the search team asked Paul, well, can you give us some references? Maybe a list of the people you've baptized throughout your ministry? Have you baptized anyone we would know, anyone we've ever heard of, maybe someone famous? Tell us about your network. And Paul says, you know, I, I can't really give you a list of people I've ever baptized. That's never been my priority, keeping track of that kind of thing. And most of the people who respond positively to my message, honestly, they're a bunch of nobodies. You would have never heard of them. Oh, there are always a few among the cultural elite that, that might believe, but most of the time, it's people of lower status that the elite look down upon. They're the ones who embrace the gospel. I don't know, maybe it's because 
the rich, the educated, the powerful, the elite, they are so proud they have a hard time following a crucified Lord who died a scandalous death. And someone on the search team says, well, doesn't that bother you that your message isn't connecting with people of influence? And Paul says, have you read the Bible? Have you not paid attention to the kind of people God uses to accomplish his purposes and his will in the world? God does his best work through nobodies. And do you know why? Because when God works through a nobody, it's God that gets the credit instead of the person. That's what Jeremiah meant when he said, let those who boast, boast in the Lord. This is not about all the fine people God is gathering into a church. It's about the way God is working through all kinds of people to accomplish his will. And then Paul continues in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. No, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. I came to you in, in weakness with fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the, the Spirit's power, that is the power of the cross, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Someone on the search team asked Paul, well, okay, describe yourself as a preacher then. And, and Paul says, I admit I'm not a strong preacher, not a great speaker. You can find a lot of other people who are much better preachers or speakers than I am. The truth is when I get up to speak, I'm nervous. I'm shaky, partly because I never know how people are going to respond. Sometimes it turns violent. I am a simple preacher with a simple message. I preach Christ and him crucified. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I don't do anything beyond that. I don't get fancier than that. That's my message. It's not eloquent. It's not rhetorically slick, but it has a power all its own. And someone on the search team says, well, would you be interested in getting some training so that you could be a better speaker? And Paul says, I know how to be a better speaker. I intentionally don't use all the tricks of the trade so that when someone embraces the gospel, they embrace it because of the power of the gospel, not because I'm a powerful speaker. And someone else says, what? but yeah, but what if you could win more people by being a better communicator? And Paul says, well, will I, would I really be winning more people to Christ? Or would I be winning them to my speaking ability? And on and on and on he goes. And you can see why Paul would frustrate a search team. And it's worth noting, if you haven't noticed it already, Paul, throughout his letters, especially in 1 Corinthians, he undermines rhetoric. He undermines persuasive speech while employing rhetoric and persuasive speech in a powerful way, in a masterful way. There's an irony to what Paul says and how he says that I'm not for rhetoric, but watch me use rhetoric to make my point. 
But nevertheless, Paul's theology of preaching and ministry is to always keep the cross front and center. He preaches. We preach, he says, Christ and him crucified. That way, when someone embraces the gospel, they're embracing the story of Christ crucified, not a slick presentation, not clever rhetoric, not funny stories, but the power of the cross. Paul is laying out this theology of preaching and ministry, not because he's sitting with a search team, but because actually there are groups of Christians in the church in Corinth who are dividing themselves and attaching themselves to specific preachers. I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Cephas or Peter. And they're doing this as a way of establishing their status over one another, setting themselves apart from each other, saying we're a better group because we follow a better preacher. And Paul reminds them that in the beginning, when they came to Christ, they came because of the power of the message of the cross, not because of the skill of the preacher who preached the sermon. Now, there's nothing intrinsically or inherently wrong with a polished presentation or a celebrity testimonial or a communicator having a charismatic personality either on stage or off. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we allow the messenger to overshadow the message. Several years ago, I heard Tom Long, a well-known retired professor of preaching. He's trained preachers all over the world. He's a professor at Emory University. And I heard him at a conference say that he feels sorry for churches that have great preachers. Preachers that get up every Sunday and hit a home run or at least hit a triple every Sunday. He said, I feel sorry for those churches because it distorts their view of the Christian life because the Christian life is not always a home run or a mountaintop experience. And he said, and this is a professor of preaching, someone who trains preachers to do preaching in a better kind of way. He said, I think it's really good sometimes for churches to hear mediocre or even bad sermons because that's more true of the Christian life, the shape of it. It's an up and it's a down experience. Sometimes it's exciting, sometimes it's tedious and boring. So as your new preacher, I promise to do my part to make sure that you know that sometimes the Christian life is boring. Today, Paul's words confront us with a question to get to the heart of it. And that question is, do we believe the gospel is enough? Do we believe the message, the story of the crucified Christ is enough? Or do we believe we need to add some extra sauce to it? Sprinkle on a, a bit of spice to make it more interesting to our children or more palatable to our neighbors? Do we believe this story is enough? the story of a crucified Christ? Do we believe this story of God ripping open the heavens to reveal an image of God that no one had ever imagined, much less contemplated or worshiped or imitated? An image of a God who is a servant, who empties himself on a cross for the sake of all creation. An image of a God who demonstrates power and strength 
through humility and weakness. Do we believe that story? The story of a crucified God still has the power to draw people near to God and to change lives. Is that the story? Christ and him crucified. Is that the story that has drawn us together today? Is that the story that will hold us together as a church? Is that the story that we are telling and living out among our neighbors? Because it's not always entertaining. If you grew up hearing it, you can reach a point where this message of Christ crucified and raised from the dead is ho-hum kind of boring. Heard that before. It doesn't always make sense. Some mornings you wake up and it seems like way more foolishness than wisdom. It doesn't answer all of our questions. It doesn't dispel all of our doubts. There are some really, really, really smart people in the world who still say, It's not true. And yet, for those of us who have heard the story and have believed it and have embraced it and have let it embrace us, it is the power of God at work in the world. It is the power of God at work in us. And it's enough. It doesn't need our help. It just needs us to tell it and to live it. So as you leave this place, may you never be ashamed of the gospel. May you never be ashamed of the story of Christ and him crucified. And may you never be ashamed to tell it, but more importantly, to live it. Because it is the power of our salvation. It is the power of God that is changing our lives. It is the power of God that can change the lives of others. It is the power that is changing and is the hope of the world. May you tell it and may you live it as you go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.